Tonight, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? Redeeming a faith in God is, we talked about this morning, a detour in life that God will many times in our lives take us on a detour, or what we believe is a detour. It's not a detour in God's perspective. It's the straight way. But it takes us being willing to follow him. Israel could have gone straight to the Canaan land, which would have brought them through the top, uh, and put them right by the Philistines and would have ended in complete disaster. Barring, you know, and that was not the way that God wanted them. And he wanted to strengthen them, get them prepared. But there are times in life where each and every one of us will come up against a large obstacle, trial, temptation, you name it. But there's something large that comes in our lives. And we are forced to either will perish against that obstacle, it will be our undoing, or that obstacle with which we're facing uh, is the very thing that prompts us, compels us to recognize our own insufficiency and realize the all-sufficiency of God and cry out to Him. And we cry out to Him depending completely and absolutely upon His strength and power to get us to safety. Here in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, uh, would you follow along with me? Exodus 14, 15, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, speaking to the children of Israel, that they go forward? Here they are, they're hemmed up against the Red Sea. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. How? How, how? how are they going to know that he's the Lord? He tells us, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. We understand from Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And God here says, listen, I'm going to get glory from the Egyptians. Verse 19, an angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud of darkness to them. But he gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall upon the, unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. It came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. But they drave them heavily. So God's taking off the wheels of the chariots. Talk about a flat tire or worse. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel. What did they notice here? For the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. The children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Something we need to understand. Hebrews eleven six: without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And here is Israel in a place of absolute danger. And God will bring us, in your life and in mine, he will bring me to the place I have no answers. And I must rely solely upon him. Israel could have quickly ran back into Egypt. 
But God provided a way in the midst of that which was impossible. And all he asked for was obedience. And once we achieve safety and reflect upon God's goodness, you know what happens? Our faith is strengthened. This is a very sad epitaph on Pharaoh's heart and his life. Pharaoh hardened his heart to the things of God. He saw the exact same things Israel saw. And it's really like one comes to a crux in the road, comes to a fork in the road, and you have a decision. Turn from God, rebel against God, get angry at God, attack God, do whatever, or follow God. You come to that road, that fork, the split in the road. But the believer who sees God deliver them from distress will cement their faith in God. And the principle tonight is let the obstacles of life renew your faith in God and not push you from Him. As we look at this passage of Scripture, let's go to the Lord and pray. But the fact is, there will come a time in your life, if you have not had already, you've come to a place and you said, I have no out. It's impossible. I don't know what to do. And it's at that very point you're faced with a choice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. And Lord, I thank you. What a mighty working God you are. And Lord, as I preach this sermon, (laughs) even the preparation, Lord, it convicts my heart. Father, the realization what I have is a child of the Almighty God. Lord, I am unworthy. So, Father, you take control. Lead my lips and my thoughts. And, Lord, help us to realize the wonderful privilege that each of us has as your child. That, Lord, there is an escape route. And the providence and the power and the might of our Creator and our Savior. And we'll thank you for it. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Here in verse 15 and 16 of this passage of Scripture, the Lord asks Moses, Why are you crying to me? He says, Moses, stop crying to me. Get up and work. I mean, this is the very same thing that Joshua did in Joshua chapter 7. Verses 7 and 10 of Joshua 7. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore, this is after Ai, the defeated Ai, hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side Jordan. The Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? God says, Stop being a crybaby. You ever had that in your life? You thought, man, <laughs> God's kicking me in the rear, you know, in the backside saying, get up and get going. He's telling Moses, what are you doing here? Moses, you're to be a leader. Well, I don't want you staying back. In Ezra chapter 10, verse 1, when, now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children. For the people wept very sore, arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee, be of courage, good courage and do it. God says, stop praying, stop moaning, and get to action, get to work. And the fact here, God tells him in verse 16, lift up thy rod, lift thou up thy rod. He says, you have the key to victory, use it. And over and over and over and over again, God reassures Moses, listen, there's a power in that rod. Exodus chapter 4, or 4 verse 2, and the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod, chapter, uh, verse 17 of chapter 4. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Verse 20 of chapter 4. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass. He returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. 
So God uses the ordinary for extraordinary purposes. He uses mundane, simple things. Who would think outside the walls of a church who are not familiar with churches that inside the very words of a book written some 2,000 years ago, over a 1,600-year period from the time of Christ, you know, from A.D. 90, back around 1,600 years, by 40-plus authors under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that this book can transform an individual, a mundane thing, or so we think. But there is such a power in this book to absolutely transform lives, transform generations, transform families, transform cultures. It's not a mundane thing. Now our nature as, as, as humans is to regard the things of God as just common. Church can become common rather than magnificent. Mark 7, 13, Jesus comes and tells the, he says, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things, and many such like things ye do ye. We can take what is holy and make it vain or profane or common. Now Moses was speaking and using what God had given to him exactly. And he was to exhibit God's power. Now we see as believers that the word of God and intercessory prayer to God does the impossible. And I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 6, verse 5. This idea, they're up against the impossible, and Moses has a stick. That's it. That's it. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, Antioch, excuse me, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Here are some everyday, ordinary men that God would use to overcome evil spirits and anti-God powers. God would use the rod of Moses to afflict the rebellious people. Turning the water into blood. You see, believer, we have all the weapons we need to be successful. If you were to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18, it talks about the whole armor of God. It consists, first of all, the belt of truth. This is truth. Absolutely. The belt of truth. I must know that this is God's word. I cannot have doubts. Because the belt of truth and the armor of a soldier held the whole suit together. If we don't stand on truth, we fall apart. There's a lot of lies that... I, I mean, I, you've talked to people, and other, you talk to other people, and you, you start talking with them, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's not true. But they believe it is, and their life, I mean, it's just going a bad direction. There's the breastplate of righteousness, the very thing that we as a believer ought to live in obedience and faithfulness and holiness. Holiness is that I want to live in accordance with, I want to be as, you know, be holy for I am holy, right? The breastplate of righteousness, I want to live in a way that is pleasing to God. The gospel shoes, we have the greatest message this world has ever heard. The shield of faith. You said, Pastor, I understand all of this imagery. But I want to tell you that the shield of faith comes 
Because when the deceit of life, the obstacles of life, the Red Sea experience comes, and the enemy's behind you, and you say, uh, Lord, don't you know what you're doing? You brought me out of Egypt to kill me here against the Red Sea. Uh, God, I'm up against the impossible. The only way that I can deny and deal with things that are overwhelming is faith. The very shield to your mind, to your heart, as you have that shield up, is faith. Now that sounds preposterous to a world that does not know of God. The helmet of salvation, you must know that you're a Christian. The very idea that we can lose our salvation, that does much to upseat, upend, or to turn over. Because if, and you know how it mentions the helmet of salvation that protects your head. That which your head, your mind, controls your entire body, what you're doing, where you go, what, how you do it. He says, I want you to know that you're my child. Israel had to know they were God's children. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is my defense. But pastor, there's a lot of professionals today that will tell me how to deal with things. I want to tell you. The sword of the Spirit. This is God's Word. This is how I deal to attack the very things that desire to destroy me. This book. This book is what attacks Satan, and he hates. And hence why he so violently and deceptively seeks to corrupt it, as we see in our day. You also find Ephesians chapter 6, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. My heart for this city, as we have the tent meeting, is prayer. Nothing great will happen unless we're asking God to work. It won't come because of programs. It won't come because of skills in preaching or on music. Sure, you might get a, a great emotional experience, but we're not looking for an emotional experience. We're looking for the power and the presence of the Spirit of God to change hearts and lives to convict hearts and that hearts would respond in faith and be forever changed. But it's this book, as Hebrews 4.12 tells us, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It pierces. It convicts. Provides a truth. And God tells Moses, what is that in your hand? It is, what God is looking for is a faith. He's telling Moses, stop whining and start leading. Laziness and lack of action will do nothing. But we as believers must be faithfully pushing forward. In Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the slothful man or the lazy man is as in hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. We must listen to God's word. Isaiah 30, 21, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand, we turn to the left. It is easy to let fear cripple you. There's been, as we were over the last few weeks, there's several things that we're kind of dealing with and <laughs> has some court idea, some court things. And I have to tell you, I, it, it, it has really bothered me. It really has. So as I'm preaching this, I'm actually really pointing back at myself. But I can't let obstacles and fear cripple me in a forward progress for God's will. I've got to look to him. In Exodus chapter 13, or 14, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 17, and God says here, and I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. Now we understand here that the fury of Pharaoh, I find it amazing as I was I continue to ponder upon this, and just a few weeks ago I was uh, thinking about this, and I thought, you know what? Pharaoh and the Israelites saw the exact same ten plagues. They experienced, now Israel experienced the first five plagues. 
One made the decision to get out of Egypt. One made the decision to stay in Egypt. One made the decision to say, I will sacrifice the lamb. We will get our houses clean. We will get rid of the leaven in our houses. One decided to say, I'm going to attack God. I'm angry at you. Now, God is against the rebel. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, verse 15, But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you, as it was against your fathers. In Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. God says, listen, you harden your neck against me you will be destroyed, and there will be no escape route. It is truth that hardens the neck. Second Chronicles 36, Zedekiah was one and 20 years old when he began to reign. That's verse 11, the first part of it. Chapter thir- uh, verse 13 of chapter 36, Second Chronicles. Zedekiah, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning to the Lord God of Israel. What happens to him? Zedekiah is faced with truth. Pharaoh was faced with truth. You and I are faced with the truth of who God is. We know it from God's word. But you have a decision. You have a decision. And many people, when they're faced with that truth of God, they harden their heart. I'm angry at God. I don't like God. I hate Christians, whatever the saying goes. But it is the obedient person that turns their heart to the Lord. Truth cannot, truth manifests itself. You have to deal with it. And it is rebellion that will harden one's heart. Now, God gives us the tools to be used for his service. And you can expect to be attacked. You can expect to face obstacles. I mean, Israel just gets out of Egypt and they are driven to the Red Sea, their first obstacle. So God is telling Moses, I want you to watch me work for I'll get myself honor. Now, I'm amazed. I mean, as we think about this, The ten plagues. Unbelievable earthly disasters, calamities, struggles, afflictions. Ten of them. And Israel so quickly says, Oh, God! And we do the same thing. We get so excited. We see God work and we're all joyous. And then something else happens. And man, we're just down like Eeyore. But thankfully, I'm so grateful for God's grace. He says, listen, Moses, I'm going to show myself mighty. You don't have to do a thing. And we have to understand the force of God. Verse 19 of chapter 14 of Exodus, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. Now, the angel of God is going to protect Israel. It's revealed here. The sufficiency of God is revealed here. To Egypt, verse 20, And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness them. On one side of that cloud is absolute darkness. On the other side is light. The same cloud, different positions. 180 degrees difference. Israel was fearful of the advancing army, but they didn't understand that Egypt was against the very hand of God. They didn't realize that Egypt couldn't see You know, sometimes in our lives, we have obstacles, enemies with whom we fear. One thing I have to understand is God is still watching and he's still in control. God can change what the enemy sees. 
I mean, even Rahab. Look with me here in Joshua chapter 2. We'll come back to Exodus 14. But Joshua chapter 2. I always find this amazing. I don't understand Pharaoh. I mean, I guess I do because, you know, in my own fickleness of my own self, my own heart. But in in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. I mean, who would think that Pharaoh wouldn't just bow down and say, Lord, forgive me. I mean, all ten plagues. Those ten plagues were a direct attack against the gods of the Egyptians. The first one was the god of the Nile, and God says, listen, your god is nothing. He dealt with the last one, with whom the reverence of the firstborn child, and God obliterated every, I mean, he just showed over all the gods of the Egyptians, in one way or the other. He showed Egypt, your gods are nothing. One would think in the very midst of such overwhelming, magnanimous power of God, Pharaoh would fall on his face and repent and say, oh God, forgive me. It's much like you find there on Mount Carmel with Elijah. 450 prophets of Baal. Fire from heaven, boom, gone. There's the bull all gone, all the water gone, even the rocks turned into dust. You would think that those prophets of Baal would just fall flat on their face and say, oh God, forgive us. But they didn't. Here in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Rahab said, listen, we heard what happened there in Egypt. We heard what happened to the Amorites whom you destroyed. And our hearts broke in absolute fear. Israel was scared of the enemy in in, in Canaan land. Israel is uh, fearful of the advancing Egyptian army. But they don't understand that God had put in the way the very things that would cause fear upon the enemy. And as much as I can fear what Satan might send my way, I don't know the fear that God's maybe putting in the presence of others. I was just (laughs) talking to a gentleman yesterday, a rather rough-looking individual, and I was a little, a little hesitant to go up to him, but the Lord told me to, so I went and chatted with him. And, but I wanted to, he was a little bit, obviously, a little frightened by me. He didn't know who I was. And I had an opportunity to chat with him and witness to him and stuff, but he, he was in a gang here in town. And as I was thinking upon this, and you know what? We as a believer, we have the hand of the Almighty with us. And the very words we speak the very presence of God and the countenance I carry can carry such a presence of the might and the power of God to instill fear in those we talk to. Here is Israel in an impossible situation and God says, hey, I'm going to make life dark for the Egyptians. God can have the enemy see a force much mightier than themselves and have them absolutely be broken. God can alter one's senses to perceive that which is not reality. I mean, in 2 Kings 7, 6, For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. And here is a position. And Elijah talks to him. And God protects the city. God evoked such a strong fear that the Midianites would turn on each other. Judges chapter 7. 
You see faith, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That shield of faith says, listen, I know my God will be my protection. The same exact cloud, what you might be looking at, the army coming, just a cloud, that's it, between us. You're thinking, uh, a cloud between me and the Israel, between me and the Egyptians, uh, God, we're not in a very safe position here. Lord, what are you doing? I mean, that's just air. That's the wall of air. That's it. But they don't understand the Spirit of God. You and I have the Spirit of God within us as believers. It's that very Spirit that is our very protection. God responds to faith and obedience and he gives protection. God can put a fear upon the enemy. Deuteronomy 11.25 There shall no man be able to stand before you for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon as he has said unto you. Rahab said we heard what God did and we, we just were broken. You know what? Sometimes what I look at Canaan land, promised land, wow, too big. So many armies, so mighty. We can never defeat it. They have giants in the land. There are grapes in clusters long. God, we can never do it. They don't know the hearts of the, the enemies who are already defeated in their hearts. It's like going against a team. I'm playing a hockey team. And if I knew I was already in the head of my enemies and they were already afraid of me, what if we knew that? Man, we would just attack, attack, attack. So often we look at it from our temporary perspective, our temporal perspective. But I can see with my eyes, hear with my ears, and feel with my hands. And here in this moment, God gives isolation. It's here in the midst of the storm, the cloud, that Israel found light. To the wicked, to come before God is a fearful thing. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. It's that very cloud is light to one and darkness to another. The wicked will fear at nothing. Psalm 53.4 and 5, have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat at my people as they eat bread. They have not called upon God. There were they in great fear where no fear was, for God had scattered the bones of him that a camp is against thee. Thou hast put them to shame because God hath despised them. The place of greatest strength and peace is under the watch care of God Almighty. Isaiah 43, 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God. The Holy One of Israel, thy Savior, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Egypt, excuse me, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Sometimes we have to get to the place where it doesn't make sense to see God's power displayed. Sometimes obstacles, trials, hard times, Opposition, persecution is a means for God to buy back, to redeem my heart unto himself. I'm not talking redemption for salvation. I'm talking to get my faith back in him. It's in these persecutions, afflictions, and trials that what I'm doing is I'm turning to the source of peace. And we find in verses 21 through 28, the fright of Egypt. I mean, Moses acts in faith. He stretches out his rod. The enemy doesn't consider the works of God. <clears throat> if you see Israel, the Red Sea goes, whoop, on dry ground. <laughs> right? Uh-oh. Somebody bigger than us is on their side. Why would they pursue because they deny to listen to the truths of God. Learn in Hebrews 10.31 is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As Jonathan Edwards preached that famous sermon, God can trouble and confuse the enemy. 
He can overcome the enemy's hurried advances. Herod, in Acts chapter 12, would set himself up over God, and God would cause him to be smitten and eaten of worms. A sad end to a forgetful hearer. Pharaoh lost his firstborn son in Exodus 12. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 25, the entire army, God would take the chariot wheels off their chariots. Can you imagine driving down the highway, all of a sudden someone comes around you, maybe they're shooting at you, and you're like, I'm out of here. I mean, you just floor it. And all of a sudden they come along and they're flying up and all of a sudden their wheels start going pew, bing, bing, and you just see sparks. Is that a coincidence? You know what? I got to get off to the maintenance man. Man, that guy didn't do a good job. Maybe that's what happened. And these soldiers would learn a lesson too late. Here they are in the middle of the Red Sea. Israel's already over. Verse 25. Let us flee, flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. They learned a lesson too late to put their faith in God. I would hate for that to be the condition of our heart, to refuse God. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that refuses to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they'll learn the lesson too late in hell. No matter what the enemies do and how vehement their attacks are upon God, His people, and His word, they will never ultimately prevail. They may corner you back up against the wall. They may hem you in on every side. For some, they may even kill them. But God gets the victory. And Christian, we must stop fretting about the little things. We must stop fretting about the big things. I'm guilty. And I've got to stop seeking for respite upon those things that are just temporary. As I was reading my devotions yesterday, God revealed to me, it was just amazing the thought that came to my mind, that I can place, if I put my rest or my comfort or my lust in a thing of this world, you know how there's, if I was to, you know, we take a tree. You can cut the tree down. If the tree were to burn up, that burning process produces heat, produces light, and produces coal, right? But all the energy contained within that tree, when it's in the burning process, all of that energy is dispersed in different forms. But there's a finite amount of energy that a particular any tree can give off finite amount of energy as in heat light and coal or charcoal right when i put my faith in something that is temporary there's only a finite amount of energy that that thing can give to me as a satisfaction but if i put my faith my rest my strength, my peace, my encouragement in God who is eternal. When will that be burned up? When will I stop receiving benefits from God? Because if I put my lust, if someone puts their lust in a dating relationship, That individual can only give you so much satisfaction. That's all they think. I mean, they are limited in the satisfaction that they can give you. In Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. My faith starts on him. My faith ends in him. The entire thing is in him. And my entire satisfaction comes from him who is eternal. It'll never be burned up. My contentment will never be burned up. 
He is my hope. And the faith of Israel, in verses 29 and 31 here, of chapter 14, God cements Israel's heart to say, Listen, God is for you. Christian, know this. God is for you. All he's asking is for continual obedience. Peace. When we see God do the impossible, what does it do in your life? Does it not invigorate you? Does it not energize you? My God is for me. If God be for us, who can be against us? That, that verse many times comes to mind. Does it not bring a unity? Israel just said, did you see what our God did? I mean, there's like a cheering section. Woo-hoo! He's for us. And if we want to redeem our faith in God, it's not looking at that Egyptian army. It's not looking at that cloud which is kind of separating us, which isn't a really good boundary, unless God's in the midst of that cloud. Or God's hand is controlling that cloud, giving me light and them darkness. In Luke chapter 5, when people see God work, and they were all, Luke chapter 5, verse 26, and they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. This is a man who was sick of the palsy who was healed. Where he said, arise up, take thy couch. You know what, Christian, what we've got to do, and I'm talking to myself, when all hope seems lost, God reinforces my faith. By continuing to show me he's in charge. May we resolve to get back to God for help. Stop worrying and fretting in idleness. In conclusion, in our lives, we must not fight against God. Step out in faith. Obey his desires to find rest and peace from the attacks. Submit to him in humble faith, realizing he knows what's best. Be willing to get back up and ride the saddle in faith. Sometimes we sit back and we just want to pray for answers. And sometimes the answer's right before us. You said, Lord, I'd like an answer. Oh, here's Israel at the Red Sea. God, please, please help us. Please, please give us an answer. Moses, God, help! God says, I've given you the answer. It's your rod. Strike the water, boom. It opens up. Our struggles in life are a time when God can get the most glory. Your afflictions, maybe your persecution, God gets the glory because I'm out of answers. And there was no explanation for what will transpire in my life other than God. John chapter 11, verse 2, it was that Mary, which anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He died. Lazarus died in John 11. You know John eleven thirty five. 35? Jesus wept. Well, he's, you know, he sees Lazarus is dead. Temporarily. You know what God's desiring in our lives? That we can allow our hard times to cement our faith in God so that in the good times, when I'm inclined to flee from God, or inclined to get away from God, I stay close to him. This evening, I hope that all of you could, upon questioning yourselves, give a clear biblical explanation of when you came to faith in Christ, when you placed your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness and payment of the sin debt that that you owe God. 
Don't go through life like the Egyptian army, knowing about God. I mean, Pharaoh knew about God. The, the, the soldiers knew about the Lord in the midst of the Red Sea. And I truly believe that our world is near the end before we come into the tribulation period. We're not there yet, but I think we're very, very close. Right on the precipice. It'd be very sad to see a world moving towards a one-world government, which our Bible tells us about, and not settle your faith in Christ. And Christian, where's your faith? Insurmountable challenges and obstacles of life. God's been testing me the last few weeks going through this court thing. And what is my heart focusing upon? So often I focus upon that which is only temporal. What I've got to do is humbly kneel down, ask him for help. And when he gives me motions on what to do, guidance on directions in life, I ought to follow. It's a submission of my will, just as I spoke about this morning. The question is, will I humble myself? If I'm in the state of pride, then I will resist God. If I'm in the state of the fear, looking at fear over God, then all I'm looking at is the army. But I'm not looking at what God's doing in their hearts. And so what God wants us to do this evening is put your absolute faith in him for your life, no matter what you face. Can I tell you, I'm a little bit, there's a little bit of <laughs> fear, frustration, irritation, some of the things going through. And I've had to just rest in the truths that God's in control. It's that same God. He hasn't changed. The only thing that has changed is I've looked, instead of looking at him, I'm looking, I've changed my perspective. I don't know what's going on in the heart of the Egyptians. I don't know what's going on in the heart of those in promised land, as Rahab would mention. But I do know that God wants us to continue to move forward towards his promises. I do know that God wants me to continue to move forward. And if there's a Red Sea obstacle in my life, the only way forward is in faith. We have to, as believers understand how dependent upon God I really am. He is God. He's the creator. He owns these elements. All I must simply do is follow. As we come to the invitation this evening, I just want to challenge you in your life. How is your humility to walk by faith. Just by faith. In obedience to Him. It's a simple thing. And yet, it's difficult because I just use my senses. And I don't use my spiritual eyesight to follow. I've got the very manual to know, help me to know how to live by faith. I have the Spirit of God within Spirit of God and the Word of God to guide me. If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. Time of invitation this evening. And I just want to challenge you, redeeming of faith in God. Christian, <laughs> may the obstacles of life, your afflictions, your trials, your hard times, renew your faith in God. Don't let them push you from Him like they did for Pharaoh. Let them cause you to cleave unto Christ and find what only God can give. With all heads bowed and eyes closed as the musical plays, redeeming a faith in God, use the hard times, the difficult times, the struggling times to reveal and manifest God's glory in a way far beyond what you could ask or think. Sometimes it could be in the very life of a person with whom our hearts are burdened. It was in my own heart recently. I, there was an individual with whom I've ministered and I saw them slipping away and my heart was burdened and praying for them. And, and God used hardships 
to bring him back to himself. We still have a God in control. We still have a God who is mighty. Our fear ought to get us to the place to cry out to God, but then when God answers, get to work. Pray, but also act. When you're done praying, let the song play through another time. I just trust that we would receive the safety, protection, and guidance from a hardened faith in Christ. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior this evening as you're watching, the safest place you can be is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins. He died to make you his own, redeem you from sin's penalties. And Christian, he died. Not only for my salvation, he also died so that I can have a relationship with him day by day having the peace and rest that only he can give. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for your wonderful and marvelous gift of life. Father, help us to be found faithful. Lord, help me to just put my faith in you. How frequently and often do I go astray? Do I fear? Lord, forgive me. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing in the heart of the Egyptians, but I do know that you're continually showing to me a heart that needs to increase its faith. I pray that you do that in all of us. God, that we'd understand how great you are. God, we'd understand that in the very hearts of those in Canaan land, hearts melt. And so, Lord, help each and every one of us to take the walk of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please you, and may we live by faith. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.